So I have a confession to make this morning. Maybe some of you are aware that on Thursday this past week, Pat Robertson, a noted televangelist and really the architect of what has now become the religious right, uh, died at the age of 93. And my first thought was not graceful. (laughs) My first thought was, Pat's got a surprise coming because he's going to meet God now and she is not going to be anything like Pat expects. And I shared that with a colleague at annual conference who said to me, actually, I didn't think Pat was going up at all. (laughs) I'm not proud of this. I'm just letting you know. It is so darn hard to remember the wideness of God's mercy, especially when I have extremely excellent reasons for not wanting those people to be part of God's mercy, not the least of which is a lifetime of misrepresenting God, as far as I can tell. So it is essential for me to remember that God loves everybody, even the people i have a really hard time believing that about. No one is outside God's grace. I hate that. No, I'm really grateful for that. I kind of figure if there's not room enough for Pat Robertson, there's probably not room enough for me either. And our gospel reading is a really challenging Example of that inconvenient truth about grace. When Jesus calls Matthew to be a disciple, almost everyone in the vicinity gets mad about it. Uh, Remember that the crowd that's following Jesus around Galilee are mostly poor folk, farmers and fishers, who are doing their best to wrestle a precarious life from land and lake, they are always just one bad crop from ruin, one bad fishing season from being reduced to debt slavery. And so they love it when they see Jesus, the son of a carpenter, Sparring with the powerful and the well-connected. They, they adore his earthy lessons of seeds and specks and logs in the eye of the hypocrites that baffle and embarrass the religious experts. They cheer when he baffles the well-connected and the powerful. They cheer the wide net that he throws out for the kingdom of God that includes the poor, people like them, the outcasts, people like them, the marginalized, people like them. But when Jesus invites a tax collector to be a disciple, that was someone about as not them as you could imagine. That is a step too far. 
for the people who follow Jesus. Matthew, remember, is a traitor. He is a grifter. He is a gangster. He preys upon the poor for tax money to pay for the Roman imperial military occupation that is a boot on their neck. And he's gotten rich by squeezing them even a little harder than the Romans require. Tax collectors for the Roman government were like mafiosi. They were feared and they were despised. And people are going, why, Jesus, are you inviting him? And if the poor folk around Jesus didn't think that Jesus should be inviting Matthew, for the Pharisees, Matthew was by definition a sinner. He was cooperating with the Romans didn't make any sense. And when I think of it in that perspective, it doesn't necessarily make sense to me either. And when Jesus does something that doesn't make any sense to me, which is often, I try to step back a minute and look at the situation again through what I think are Jesus' eyes rather than my own. And so I wonder, what did Jesus see on that afternoon when he walked by this tax collector, Matthew, on the side of the road? What would I see if I really knew who Matthew was? Given what happens in this call story, I wonder if Matthew, for all of his power and all of his money and all of his connections, I wonder if inside he felt hollow. I wonder if he had come to the realization that what he was doing was not just sucking money out of common folk, it was also sucking the life out of his own soul. I wonder if he laid awake at night wondering how he could get out of this life, because once you're connected with the mafia, it's not so easy to step away. If that's true of Matthew, then I'm guessing that when Jesus looked at him and saw him, really saw him, when Matthew felt that love and understanding, I'm guessing something in Matthew that he thought had been dead for a long time came alive. Because when Jesus invites him to follow, Matthew gets up from his table and follows, gives it all up to be part of this kind of love, this kind of welcome. So that kind of welcome, not just a welcome, an invitation from Jesus to Matthew would have been a straight-up scandal. Why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees ask Jesus' disciples. I think they're too chicken to just ask Jesus. Well, no. So they ask his disciples. <laughs> they always get embarrassed. Uh, and it's Jesus who replies. It's the sick folk who need a doctor. Not the healthy. It's the sick who need care and love. Think about what this means. God requires mercy, not sacrifice. God wants us to love people more than God 
wants us to love rules, even God's rules. For Jesus, the connection point to people was always love, was always compassion. It was always people's essential belovedness in the eyes of God and God's wanting to make them whole, no matter how they might appear to others. It was how he made the connections. So we've just come from a few days (coughs) of the New England Annual Conference, gathering of clergy and laity from around New England in the United Methodist Church. Steve Deloney was also there with us as an equalization member, and he will be bringing us um, a report of what happened next Sunday. Remember that worship's at 10 o'clock next Sunday. You don't want to miss what Stephen has to say. Um, The theme of that conference was draw the circle wider still. And what we'd like to share with you this morning is a story that our interim bishop, Peggy Johnson, told um, during her Episcopal address as she was challenging us and urging us as congregations around New England to draw our circles wide and wider and wider still, welcoming in folk who we don't necessarily think of as being part of who we are. She challenged us to pay more attention to the love than to the rules. And that's not always as easy as it sounds. Especially in Methodism, we have a lot of rules. Yeah. Bishop Johnson told of the deaf congregation that she served for 20 years in Baltimore. It was a middle-class, educated community that was offering a desperately needed and meaningful worship experience for deaf folk who couldn't find that anywhere else. It was a warm congregation. It was comfortable. For folks who weren't comfortable in a lot of other places. Yes, it was a refuge for the deaf community. But God had wider ideas than comfortable. And God began to send other folk into the circle of that little church. When deaf gay men with AIDS began to attend in the 90s, it got uncomfortable. The members worried about communion by intinction. When deaf folk who were food insecure came to worship and needed lunch afterwards, it got uncomfortable. Folks worried whether there would be enough money in the budget to feed them every week. And when, most uncomfortable of all, hearing folk began to attend... And they realized they were going to have to pay for a hearing interpreter for the sign language impaired. Bishop Johnson says it, said it wasn't easy, but somehow 
again and again, the congregation made their way through those initial resistances and found ways to open their circle wider and wider. Partly, I think, that was possible because Peggy was there for 20 years. And her steady and open and graceful insistence that they remember their primary connection point was to love first, love above all else. And so they found money for lunch. And then God sent them folk who were deaf-blind, and they adapted their worship so that it was tactile and there was smell and taste to, so that people could experience the goodness of God. God sent them deaf teenagers in foster care, deaf folks recently released from prison. God sent them undocumented deaf people who spoke a different language of sign language than American sign language, and they needed to figure out how to accommodate that. Each time they opened their circle a little wider, even though it always felt like it was a half a step more than what they could do on their own even though they always felt a half a step away from financial ruin or chaos, even though they sometimes felt like they couldn't handle it by themselves, they weren't handling it by themselves. They were handling it together and with God. The congregation always remembered their connection point. They were dedicated to finding ways for folk to know and experience the love of God no matter what their life experience. This congregation kept being willing to make changes so that everyone could be included, so that everyone could know the good news. We kept drawing the circle wider, Bishop Johnson said, and everyone blossomed. And somehow there was always enough money, even for making worship audible for the sign language impaired. She did say that at least twice. (laughs) She did. It made us think how here at Harvard Epworth, we are so good at welcoming people into our congregation, into the place where we are. Jesus' invitation to Matthew and Bishop Johnson's invitation, her story about the deaf congregation, remind us that we're also called to do more than welcome people into who we are right now. We are to seek the connection points with them, to find their needs, their longings, and their gifts that when they come and connect with us, will stretch us will ask us how we can draw our own circles wider and wider to let folk in. That's where the Spirit is at work, when we are called to step into unfamiliar territory so that someone we don't know yet can find the good news 
in this place. Not the good news of us as we are, although y'all are pretty great. But the good news of who Jesus is. And that's even greater. So we challenge ourselves, we challenge all of us to think about where are our connection points? How do we see people the way that Jesus sees them? And in what ways are we asked to stretch, to become familiar with currently unfamiliar ways to do things, to do what might feel unexpected or uncomfortable until we adopt that as part of who we are so that other folk might hear Jesus' good news? How do we let folk in, not just into our congregation, but into our hearts and into our lives? That might always feel like it's a half a step too far, half a step too uncomfortable, half a step toward a chaos that we're not really ready for. But that's why Jesus talked about the need for new wineskins that are capable of stretching and making new wine able to age gracefully. Each time we draw our circle wider, each time we stretch our arms a little wider to welcome, really welcome someone with God's love, we not only open up this church to God's wider possibilities, we also open our own hearts as well and open ourselves to God's steady, open, graceful, insistent that we be more about love than anything else. So I'm going to keep trying to remember the wideness of God's mercy. I want to keep trying to touch those connection points of God loving everyone and stretching myself for that inclusion. And then maybe when I come to the end of my life, when I die, I just expect that it might be God's wry sense of humor that Pat Robertson will be standing at the pearly gates to welcome me in. And I want to be flexible enough to say thank you and enter. May this be true for all of us. Amen. Our next hymn this morning is Jesu Jesu. It's a hymn that comes to us from Ghana. And it uses the language of slave in it. That's not a word that's comfortable for us. And if you want to replace that with another word, you may do so, though, knowing that this comes from people who know what that word means in all of its reality. So we just wanted to offer that up. <laughs> 